Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thank you for joining me today for the conclusion of the Justice for Lita McClinton-Sullivan arc. We left Lita in the last episode on her death day, and it will take almost two decades and a whole lot of hoops to hold her husband, Jim Sullivan, responsible for her murder. Before we begin our investigation today, I do have a spyglass here with some huge thanks and praise for our newest supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done. Big thanks, Nancy F. and Amy B. and Christina D., Holly S. Holy cats, y'all are the best. Thank you. Your patronage is appreciated and valued. And big love to the entire Done and Done community, almost a hundred folks strong. If you are looking to add more to your investigation, Patreon is the place to do it. $2 a month will deliver early and ad-free episodes, as well as done drops. You want to up that to 5 bucks a month and all of that comes with weekly not-done-yet episodes, where we really do connect everything. There are 55 of those not-done-yet episodes within our investigation already over there on Patreon for you to dig into, and more coming all the time. But today, we are here to finally get justice for Lita. It will take a long time, almost 20 years as her husband Jim is a real special kind of weasel. Let's investigate. In this episode, investigators, we are absolutely going linear. The quest for justice for Lita does take almost 20 years. Jim Sullivan is not going to be held accountable for the murder of his second wife until 2006. There are 19 years in between Lita's death and him being held to account for it. He's slippery, Jim is. Dominic Dunn will describe Jim Sullivan saying he has more lives than a cat because Jim does get away with it for a long time, but not for lack of anyone trying. See, Jim Sullivan has been living his best life in Palm Beach. Lita had not. As of 1985, Lita, remember, was back in Atlanta, and Jim is most certainly seeing his next wife-to-be, Suki. But remember, Jim's Now, girlfriend, future wife, Sookie is married. So let's go ahead and fold her into the timeline of our investigation here, as Sookie is key in many ways to this story. Remember in the early 1980s, Sookie is on her second marriage to Leonard Rogers, one of Palm Beach's old guard. Sookie is much younger than her husband. She's 35 and he's 61, if I remember at least at the time of that first marriage. There's a big age difference. Suki is self-described as having a limited use of English, no job skills to speak of, and no way to support herself. 
Suki graduated high school and did attend some college classes at Palm Beach Community College, but had to give up further education in order to be able to compete in the Palm Beach social circuit. She said the abundance of late nights made college classes difficult. It is in that Palm Beach social circuit that Suki meets Leonard and they marry and then they divorce and then they marry again. And times are good for them until they're not. See, Suki and Jim had met through some of the same crowd that dined on the regular down at Nando's and Club Colette. And by 85 or so, definitely 86, Leonard Rogers thinks that his wife, Suki, is stepping out. And so Leonard hires a private detective who reports that Suki has, on a night while Leonard has been away, well, Suki just pulled her husband's Mercedes right out of that garage and in comes Jim Sullivan's Rolls Royce, pulling into that empty spot in the garage for an overnight stay. Once Leonard Rogers finds out this information, he is done and files for divorce from Sookie. With their divorce finalized October the 1st, 1986, with Sookie taking $120,000 in alimony, an investment portfolio worth $135,000 and a 1983 Cadillac Eldorado. Now here, with Jim Sullivan separated from Lita and living the high life in Palm Beach, right, remember, on the Landmarks Preservation Committee, Jim is high-flying. He's a friend of the mayor. He has a super nice and historic home. It does not take long with Lita out of the picture before Jim and Suki are an exclusive item, most certainly by the end of 1986. Lita's murder occurs in January 1987. And remember here, for as great as things are going for Jim, they're not that great because he is in some severe financial trouble. Jim is learning that his $5 million will not take him that far in Palm Beach. And now that Lita wants part of that within her divorce settlement... Jim Sullivan feels like crime is the option. So let's go ahead and put the crime into the story in its time frame. Lita answers her front door in her bathrobe very early in the morning, 8.15. This is January 16th, 1987, to find a flower delivery man with three dozen pink roses and a 9mm gun who will shoot Lita through that box of roses. Although attempts are made to medically intervene for Lita, she does die from these gunshot injuries. She should have been in court the next day to finalize her divorce settlement from Jim Sullivan, her so-soon-to-be ex-husband, who, after treating her badly for so many years, ultimately finds a way to deliver the cruelest and most vile treatment to Lita, that of engineering her murder. No one else but Jim has a motive to kill Lita, and I cannot tell you how much her death rocked Atlanta, not just with her family and friends naturally, but the entire city. Lita's mother, Joanne McClinton, knows from the offset I thought of Jim when it happened. Who else would want to do that? 
who else? After Lita's murder, Jim does not call Lita's family. Jim does not send flowers. Jim does not attend the services held for his still wife. A family member calls for Jim's permission to donate Lita's skin to a burn center. Jim will refuse that request as well. Of course, the police are investigating Lita's murder. There are witnesses who tell authorities about these three men who raced from the crime scene in a white car, but none of these men look like Jim, who was in Palm Beach at the time of Lita's death. He and Suki played tennis the day before. Once Jim is notified of Lita's murder, he will call Suki and they will dine out in Palm Beach, seen celebrating that evening. Police back in Atlanta go around to local flower shops in and around Tuxedo Park, that Buckhead area. And the authorities find the store that the pink roses were purchased from that very morning. It is eight-tenths of a mile away from Lita's home on Slayton Drive. These three criminal geniuses did purchase those flowers with fake names. So the authorities are trying to get a line in on these three suspects. But even then, from the jump, police are looking at Jim as the one responsible. Composites are made of the three guys, and this is headline news for days and weeks. Cops kind of on the beat of Jim Sullivan. They do find it a little bit suspicious that the day before Lita's murder, there was a videographer who was scheduled to film the Atlanta townhome, but he is called the day before Lita's murder by Jim's attorneys, and that appointment is canceled, no reason given. The authorities get a little bit of a line on the three guys in the white car. It turns out they have been staying in the days before Lita's death at a Howard Johnson's, again, criminal masterminds using false names. <laughs> and from their hotel room, these idiots have made three calls to Casa Aleda, Jim's home in Palm Beach, in the days leading up to Lita's murder. Authorities continue their investigation, confident Jim is the one behind it, and looking for the evidence to hold him accountable. Now, naturally, Jim is questioned and denies even knowing these men. He insists he had nothing to do with Lita's murder, Jim will tell the authorities and anyone else who'll listen that he thinks it was a drug deal gone wrong because that's what a bad, bad girl his dead wife was. And everyone who knows Lita knows that is not anywhere close to the truth. A lot of folks, however, believe Jim's lie, at least in Palm Beach, because maybe it's a little easier to believe that Lita was killed in a drug deal gone wrong than it was that Jim Sullivan was a murderer. And Atlanta, it's so far away. Palm Beachers kind of go in with this mood that nothing should sully our paradise playground of wonderful. But hey, <laughs> phone records are a thing, and the police have discovered that there were phone calls made to Casa Aleda, Jim's home, not just before the murder of Lita, but one particular call from a rest stop just outside of Atlanta 
on the morning of her murder, like 40 minutes after her murder. Cops think that this particular phone call was a signal from the hitman to Jim Sullivan that the hit had in fact been completed. The signal had been delivered whatever transpired on that call. This cross-state interstate phone call will actually get the FBI involved. I mean, y'all need to know at some point, every crime-fighting agency on the planet gets involved to try to get Jim Sullivan. But right now, the subpoena of those phone records, the interstate aspect of those phone records, Get the feds involved, which is going to lead to a grand jury investigation in short order. Hold on to that one. Jim's phones at this point are tapped. And here the cops are trying to find anything they can to nail Jim for Lita's death. They have a pretty good suspicion it's him. But then Jim does this one other thing on these tapped phone lines that completely verify for the authorities that Jim is the guy. See, one day Jim Sullivan is talking to a friend of his back in Macon, Georgia. And Jim in this conversation reveals that Lita was shot with a 9mm weapon. But that particular detail had never been reported in the news. Cops like to do this. They hold details back within the reporting It's a fantastic trick to play, which is used to try to suss out the culprit or culprits. And huzzah, in this case, it works. The police hear this and they now know that Jim is the guy ultimately responsible for the death of Lita. He has given himself away. Even with that and everything else that the cops have, they don't think it's enough. There's no direct proof that they can find tying Jim to Lita's murder, and the cops still aren't sure who the three guys in the white car are either. The patience game is a tough one to play, especially in a system stacked to benefit the wealthy. And Jim, the arrogant, ruthless man that he is, he is not going to go down easy. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and find out about Jim's life after Lita's death. You know, a thing like a little murder isn't going to stop Jim Sullivan. Pretty much right after Lita's murder, Jim hosts a soiree for Dee Dee Merricks, the mayor of Palm Beach, who is running for re-election. Dee Dee Merricks will win her race in February of 1987 against Paul Ilyinsky. We covered that little bit of a story and not done yet on Patreon last Friday. By March of 1987, two months after Lita's death, Jim has a brand new mortgage of almost a million dollars to pay off the previous two mortgages that were due. It's financially loosening a bit for Jim with Lita dead. Not that it really mattered much. Jim's loan application pre-Lita's death claims him as unmarried. I say loosening. I mean, remember, Jim has $5 million or so from the business. Jim also lists himself as retired, but out of that $5 million, a lot of that is wrapped up in Casa Aleda and his lifestyle. Lita's death 
does take the immediate pressure off of Jim, but it won't last long term. It is September 26, 1987, a mere eight months after Lita's death, that Jim Sullivan and his girlfriend Suki marry. And now Jim has a new exotic wife and thinks now, with his arrogance, and remember how he blamed Lita for not breaking into the Palm Beach set before, he thinks, with his revised set of circumstances, he is going to make it happen. For our longtime investigators, if you remember back to Dominic Dunn writing in April of 1986 about Palm Beach, we covered this back in our Palm Beach Chronicles. Remember that Peter and Roxanne Pulitzer were the biggest gossip in town. Palm Beach had probably thought they'd hit the limit with that divorce scandal. But here comes Jim Sullivan, dead old wife, new current wife, and just smarmy. No one wants to rattle the teacups. Palm Beach is a nice, polite, civilized, high-society town, and for real, the only reason Jim has gotten into any exclusive home or club in the last few years is because of his place on the Landmarks Preservation Commission. No one would let Jim Sullivan in the door otherwise. The authorities are still no closer to nailing Jim or the three men. There's no money trail. There's no direct evidence, although everyone knows Jim is responsible. Again, except for everyone in Palm Beach, because in 1988, Jim Sullivan with Sookie on his arm will rise higher than he ever did before. This happens along with some campaign contributions from Jim, if you can believe it. Again, hosting all those fancy parties. But in 1988, unbelievably, Jim is reappointed again to the Landmarks Preservation Committee. But whoa, though everyone thinks in Palm Beach that Jim is probably most certainly guilty and had something to do with Lita's death, 1988 is the year that he is appointed chairman of the board. Jim thinks he has landed. He's living the high life. He's chairman of the Landmarks Preservation Committee? That's the dream. It is in 1989, the following year, though, that it's all going to come crashing down a bit. And honestly, the hubris of this is ironic. Jim Sullivan is going to get slung up and actually finding any kind of accountability here because he is a terrible driver. April the 25th, 1989, Jim Sullivan's driving license is revoked for five years because his record is that bad. The state of Florida had enough. Jim is labeled a habitual offender <laughs> with 17 traffic violations since 1983. Six years, 17 violations. State of Florida, done with it. He's had six years of lawlessness on the road. Jim technically can drive no more, but that doesn't really stop him. Nothing much stops Jim. So it is about a year later, on March the 8th, 1990, that Jim is cited for driving his 1973 Rolls-Royce with an expired license and tag. His registration is no good. 
which makes sense as Jim is not street legal. He hasn't been now for seven years. This citation is given after a three-car fender bender in Palm Beach, which happens on what should have just otherwise been a quiet day in our playground paradise. No one's hurt, tickets are issued, citations are given, and everyone just goes on about their business. But this is the thing that's going to begin the takedown of Jim Sullivan. Stepping in here, remember we talked about the FBI moving in and getting phone records? The month after this three-car fender bender, April of 1990, a federal grand jury begins an investigation into the murder of Lita Sullivan. Dominoes are falling. Okay, what happens in May of 1990? Jim is going to go to traffic court. This is two months after the fender bender, and Jim's going to Jim. Instead of paying the $25 fine, the $50 fee, it's not expensive. Just paying the cost of the ticket and taking his knocks. Like, come on, Jim, how much is the Palm Beach system of justice going to mess you up, bro? Everything is sanitized in Palm Beach. That $50 that Jim saved was not worth everything that comes after this because Jim Sullivan is an arrogant ass of a man. This one, it's all his own hubris. Watch the walls begin to crumble. Jim, as cheap as he is, is not going to pay that $25.50. Bucks. He will instead continue his life of crime, albeit here at a level that is a little bit less severe than murder. Jim goes to traffic court and says, It wasn't me. I wasn't the one driving. My wife Suki was. That cop totally made a mistake. And the judge here is like, all right, I'll dismiss that charge. Because Suki gets on the stand and lies for him too. But wait, remember the grand jury is happening and we're investigating with the feds. And the feds are like, what do you mean you dismissed this ticket? So in short order, a ticket is reissued to Jim Sullivan for his revoked license and... Suki is indicted for perjury as well, for lying for Jim at traffic court. And then, goodness, between Jim and Suki, the whole story comes tumbling out. Jim is now on the hook for perjury too. And they go back to court again and this judge is having none of it. Jim is sentenced to a year of house arrest for the perjury charge. And Jim Sullivan has now entered the system. Him being under house arrest and sort of in the system gives the federal government exactly what it needs to come on in and search Casa Aleda. When they do, they will find four unregistered weapons. One of those is a sawed-off shotgun, which I think doesn't make anybody too happy. Jim Sullivan here is sentenced to an additional 18 months of house arrest. I mean, these aren't murder charges, but at least (laughs) Jim is cooling his heels at his home. He's not allowed to go anywhere while the authorities continue their investigation. And his new wife, Sookie, this is not the life she bargained for. This is not the blissful Palm Beach socialite life that she had quite imagined in her daydreams. They'd been married less than three years, and 
It has not gone great for Sookie after that initial period of success that really didn't last that long. Suki has not had a great time of it. Jim, for Suki, just like Lita, will not pay for her to get a haircut or manicures or pedicures. Jim is kind of a jerk in a lot of ways, but especially exerting financial control over his wives. On June 11th of 1990, Jim announces <laughs> that he's taking a little break from the Landmarks Preservation Committee, you know, for personal reasons probably because he's under house arrest. The following day, June 12th, Suki files for divorce from Jim Sullivan and then immediately goes into hiding because she's terrified of her husband. She uses the words deathly afraid. You thought the Pulitzers were the divorce of the decade in Palm Beach in the 80s? In 1990, it is Jim and Suki Sullivan. So back in the hot seat, Jim, now with this divorce playing out from Sookie, she's going to request $10,000 a month, saying that she enjoyed a lavish lifestyle with Jim. This $10,000 will cover $2,000 for rent, $2,000 for clothes, and $200 a month for Coco's grooming. Coco is Suki's Maltese. For Jim's part, again, Jim is going to Jim. He's playing it to the hilt. He takes pictures of all the clothes in her closet, claiming how outlandish and extravagant she is. But here's the thing. This is not Sookie's first time around the divorce block, bro. And especially in how the Palm Beach game is played. There's always a divorce of the season. And Sookie has lived through the last few years with some pretty good examples of what not to do. The Pulitzers being one of them. In Sookie's documents filed for the divorce, she will describe Jim as a foul-mouthed, name-calling, violent-tempered husband who counted every penny she spent and scrutinized every move that she made. And even more disturbingly, Lita quotes in another document about a conversation she and Jim had. A year ago, he told me that I was dealing with a dangerous person in a dangerous game and that I had better watch out. His previous wife was murdered in Atlanta. Within the initial divorce negotiations, the judge will grant Sookie $2,500 a month and $16,500 in legal fees. He will order her magazine subscriptions be maintained as well. Jim will keep the Casa Aleda home, although it is on the market for $4.9 million at this time. Sookie also keeps the Mercedes. But that's just the pre-trial stuff because we get to divorce trial and Sookie here is going to go even further. In this salacious divorce trial, she'll take the stand and unpack how that whole traffic court lying to the judge three car wreck citation debacle went down. Sookie reveals that Jim tells her about the traffic court He's terrified about going to the traffic court and he needs Suki to lie for him because if they found out that Jim had a revoked license, they would do more investigation and then if they found out about that, they'll certainly find out about the fact that I hired a hitman to kill Lita. Holy cats, this revelation on the stand from Suki Sullivan is exactly the break in the case that authorities in Atlanta needed. 
So after this, federal authorities come swooping in and Jim is arrested in January 1992 in Palm Beach. At this point, Jim is extradited to Atlanta, to the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, and Jim will use the cash he has to hire a whole team of top lawyers. 1992 is starting out pretty badly for Jim, going from his million-dollar mansion into a holding cell. Jim is being charged with interstate commerce to facilitate murder for hire. These are federal charges, so a little bit different than state charges. In this case, the crime, Interstate Commission to Facilitate Murder for Hire, the crime is the phone call, not the actual murder of Lita. It is because of these phone calls from the three men in the white car from that rest stop payphone 40 minutes after Lita's murder to Jim Sullivan's residence in Palm Beach, Casa Leda. And this is a pretty severe crime on a federal level. Federal charges for this interstate crime of facilitating murder for hire is a sentence of life in prison as well as a $1.25 million fine. Maybe, maybe we'll have justice after all in some way. Jim Sullivan's trial begins in June of 1992, and Jim comes off pretty confident, but you know that the star witness in this trial is his ex-wife, Sookie, who recounts Jim's confession on the stand. She tells of the traffic court and... His whole revelation that he hired hitmen to kill Lita. And while this is going on, the music in the background is very, very loud. She recounts because Jim thinks they're being bugged. This whole revelation is shocking. Do we finally, finally have Jim Sullivan accountable for his crimes? Again, there are two systems of how the justice system plays out. Jim's attorneys... Rip apart Suki. She's a bitter ex wife and all that jazz. They bring up everything unsavory from her past, her marriages. They call her a gold digger. Sullivan's defense team is really going hard at Suki, making her out to be getting more from Jim. If he's in prison, then certainly she will get more financially. But on the flip side here, the government is up against a pretty tough problem. They know that phone call happened, but they cannot prove the content of that phone call, which is actually the thing that makes it a federal crime. Again, the system of justice, if you can pay high-powered lawyers, Jim's defense team is going to plead for dismissal of the case for lack of evidence And on November the 23rd, 1992, the case against Jim is dismissed. And no one anywhere ever feels good that this man, this rat, this dirtbag is ever going to be held accountable for anything. No one does know what was said on those phone calls from the payphone to Casa Aleda. And reluctantly, the judge has to dismiss the case. When this happens, the courtroom is stunned. This is a bombshell. There are gasps from the audience. Anyone who ever loved Lita is astounded by this. Atlanta is astounded by this. 
my 20-year-old true crime junkie self in Atlanta, Georgia, fascinated by all parts of this case, and even knowing then Jim Sullivan was a guilty man. People everywhere are questioning where is the justice in this case? Where is justice for Lita? Jim Sullivan naturally claims vindication and finds himself redeemed, thinking that the worst was certainly behind him. Sure, he has another ex-wife, but he made it out of prison and a hefty fine, and you think that life would be good for Jim. But alas, when Jim returns back to Palm Beach, thinking himself vindicated, Palm Beach has finally turned. Any door that had been opened is now closed, and Palm Beach wants not a darn thing to do with Jim Sullivan. He is no longer welcome in any way, and without that fancy Landmarks Preservation Committee job, Jim is guaranteed entry no longer. He's on no list. Sullivan's time in Palm Beach is over. As soon as the Atlanta case is wrapped up, and Jim goes back to Palm Beach. He's, he gets the picture here and puts Casa Aleda on the market. The home sells in no time flat. See last week's Dun Drop for that episode. And here Jim is going to hightail it out of Palm Beach with his dreams of making it on the high society circuit, landing in this upper class world over, crushed, down and out. Jim is going to boohoo it over in Boynton Beach for a while. This is not anywhere near as glamorous as Palm Beach. He's lost his home. He's lost his position. But Jim, at least, still has money. But not for long, if Lita's parents have anything to do with it. See, after this decided lack of justice and Jim squirreling out of responsibility per usual, in 1994, the McClintons... Lita's parents will bring a civil suit against Jim in the state of Florida, seeking to hold him accountable for their daughter's murder. Honestly, anybody's looking for any way Jim can be held accountable. The police haven't been able to do much, and everybody knows that Jim is guilty. He's shown time and time again, but somehow he's still escaping justice. So the McClintons think, hey, a civil suit might not get Jim in jail with a criminal conviction, but it would hurt Jim in a place that he treasures pretty highly, his bank account. And for the McClintons, this case is not about the assets that Jim has. It is about the liability. And Jim Sullivan, always squirrely, he's going to pull out a new scheme in this one. Two days before the civil trial is about to begin, Jim will fire all of his attorneys who have worked for months on the preparation of this case, and Jim Sullivan decides to represent himself. He'll tell the court that he is broke, <laughs> which I'm sure supplements and adds to the lies he's telling the court about the money that he doesn't have, which more than likely he's just stashed away. Hold on to that. There is some old adage here about a fool for a client and all that. And Jim, convinced of his charm and suave, he thinks certainly a jury is going to be easy to win over. Who isn't taken in by him? Who hasn't he been able to fool yet? He's riding real high on his confidence wings. 
and thinks that there's only money to lose, right? And Jim Sullivan, kind of a sick puppy, y'all. He really enjoys representing himself in court. He's kind of a showboat. As now Jim Sullivan is the one questioning Lita's parents on the stand. I'm not saying he's intimidating the witnesses, but the jury doesn't find Jim or any of his antics too pleasant to watch. Jim comes off as pretty petty and cruel and mean. In February of 1994, there is a judgment of $4 million granted to Lita's family, which is fine and the McClintons feel a little bit of vindication, but Jim Sullivan will appeal (laughs) and the judgment is overturned again on a technicality. Jim has more lives than a cat. The claim here and how it's overturned is that the McClintons filed too late as a wrongful death suit. The statute of limitations in the civil system does have a measure of time, unlike the criminal system. In the civil system, the current code was two years, and the McClinton family went over that two-year limit by bringing their case in 1994. No matter the evidence, Jim had the motive, he's got the phone calls from the killers to his home, He has the inside intelligence about the 9mm, the actual confession to Suki. Everyone knows there's no mystery, but Jim has weaseled out of it once again. No liability for Jim Sullivan. He is free, walking around like any normal person who, you know, hasn't contracted a hit on his sweet wife. And Jim now isn't paying out her family either. Will justice ever come for this terrible man? What happens after the civil trial? How does this case come around? We're going to wrap it all up right after the break. Finally, friends, blessedly, justice takes a bit of a leap forward in our story here. In January 1998, because man, those wheels turn slowly. Lita's case was featured on Extra, the television magazine show. Extra interviews Lita's parents, the McClintons, about her murder. At this time in 1998, we're looking at 11 years ago, and the McClintons explained their quest for justice, and holy cats. Somebody knows something. Someone always knows something, and this Extra episode leads to a break in the case. Someone calls in and says, yeah, I remember this whole story I heard. There was a box of flowers delivered to Lita's door. How do I know all this? The lady says. She knew Tony Harwood. Tony was a truck driver. I dated him for a long time. I know all about this story. He's totally the hitman. And it will take about a month to confirm this story from Tony Harwood's old girlfriend. But sure enough, it checks out. Part of the story the girlfriend reveals is that Tony Harwood said Jim Sullivan hired him. Tony Harwood is interviewed with all of these revelations, and Tony Harwood is like, yeah, Jim hired me. He paid me $25,000. I did it. It's all true. And Tony Harwood will turn and testify against Jim Sullivan. In this, he will take a plea deal for 20 years. But the movement here is that there are now actual people 
who can testify against Jim Sullivan. We have witnesses. We have real direct proof. We have Tony Harwood. We do have Jim's ex-wife, Suki. It won't just be on her this whole time. Maybe justice is going to come for Jim after all. In May of 1998, the district attorney of Atlanta gives a big old press conference announcing that they have a warrant for the arrest of Jim Sullivan. (sighs) Remarkably enough, though, in this good old boy system of justice in play, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, they get a call from Jim's lawyer who assures them and the great state of Georgia that Jim will most certainly turn himself in the next morning. And now everyone thinks it is finally time for justice for Lita and that Jim certainly is going to do the right thing. He'll turn himself in and face the charges against him. Why would you trust Jim Sullivan? I mean, hasn't he proven this time and time again? What do you know? Jim Sullivan, the day he's supposed to show up to turn himself in, remarkably enough is in the wind and begins his long escape fleeing from justice. Authorities are on international alert. Everyone knows the coward Jim Sullivan is. Lita's father appeals to the press and Jim Sullivan saying, if you're innocent, like you say, come on back, stand trial, prove yourself innocent. There's a $500,000 reward posted for Jim's arrest. And initially, Jim and his escape from justice is going to head to Costa Rica, then Venezuela. And then really, he just globetrots undercover, perhaps with the hidden millions that he's got. He manages to get away with this for a long time, living this life on the lam. There is a total global manhunt. Even Ireland is included. There's no extradition in Ireland. Jim's on the lamb 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And this is where we're going to connect in <laughs> to our man Dominic Dunn. Everybody's waiting for justice for Jim. Lita's case is getting more press. It is featured in 2001 on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. It is also featured on Power, Privilege, and Justice, our man Nick's crime investigation program. After these episodes air, finally, blessedly, July 2nd, 2002, Jim Sullivan is arrested in Thailand. But let's bring in our man Dominic Dunn, so humble here. <laughs> So the case has been on extra. That's how we got the first witness. The case is featured on Unsolved Mysteries. That Unsolved Mysteries expose is what gets a tip called into the FBI about where Jim Sullivan is. But Dominic Dunn's so humble, our man Nick. Remember, Dominic Dunn has his own television show, Power, Privilege, and Justice. And he will write a little bit in September of 2002 for Vanity Fair in a piece called Vanished Fortunes, about his own pivotal role and how this drama plays out. From our man, Dominic Dunn. I'm the host of a new series on Court TV called Power, Privilege, and Justice. I started my career in television in the early 50s as the stage manager of the Howdy Doody show, and now I'm back, acting as if my name were Alistair Hitchcock. 
The first show was about a semi-rich Palm Beach heel named James Sullivan, who had been on the lam for 15 years after having been accused of hiring hitmen to shoot his African-American wife, Lita, who was an impediment to his social climbing on the day she was to go to court, sue him for divorce, and demand alimony payments that would have stunted his fancy lifestyle. Two weeks after the show aired, Sullivan was found and arrested in Thailand, where he was living in a condominium outside Bangkok with his girlfriend. John Walsh of America's Most Wanted is claiming credit, and he has indeed been reporting on the Sullivan case for years, but no one will convince me that my show, which aired just two weeks before the bust, didn't play a part in tracking the louse down. Sullivan told a reporter in Thailand he wants to return to the United States and prove his innocence. <laughs> I love Dominic Dunn. So he wants to claim the credit. Again, there have been multiple threads for let's get some justice for Lita over the years. Oh, so humble our man Nick. So here we are in 2002. Finally, finally, with Jim maybe facing justice, Jim is arrested in Bangkok he is actually living with his wife, number four. And eventually, after two years, it takes till 2004, finally is extradited back to the United States to stand trial for Lita's murder. Finally, at long last, justice is served in March of 2006. After a lengthy trial with Tony Harwood and Sookie coming back around, and after 19 years on a very, very long road to hold him accountable, Jim Sullivan is convicted for the 1987 murder of Lita McClinton Sullivan and is sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. And that is where Jim Sullivan has been cooling his heels in jail since March of 2006. And our story could end there. But this is a case still being reported on. Let's go back to 2015, a good 11 years after Jim was convicted of Lita's murder. I've got an update here from the Palm Beach Post from June 7th of 2015 about the hunt for Jim Sullivan's missing millions. Remember, Lita's parents sued Jim in 1994 in civil court. For the murder of their daughter. The appeal and dismissal of that was overturned once Jim is held accountable for Lita's murder. But back within that case, originally from 1994, there was a 20-year statute of limitations. And you know the McClintons have not seen a dime once the case that was appealed was overturned back again. But here the McClintons have been suspicious for a whole lot of time. At the time of Jim Sullivan's arrest in 2002, the Bangkok Post reported that Jim's condominium was valued at $96,000 and that Jim's bank account routinely received monthly transfers of anywhere from $1,200 to $1,400 a month. When Jim's home is searched by the authorities, there are also records of faxes between Jim and his Lichtenstein bankers and the fees that they're charging Jim to stash his hidden money. Also, Jim Sullivan's criminal defense attorney 
was being directly paid through a Swiss bank account. Pretty clear that Jim has been hiding his money somewhere. So, by 2015, the McClintons are back in a Florida court, appealing for the statute of limitations on those 20 years to be extended, leaving the door open for the McClinton family to receive any kind of money from Jim's accounts, which up until this time, Jim has been tighter than a tick. It has been rumored for ages that Jim was stashing his cash all over the place, Switzerland, Liechtenstein, offshore banks, but that money has never been found, but it was able to supply him with a life on the lamb for a really long time. So in 2015, Circuit Judge Richard Oftedal lifted the 20-year restriction, allowing collection to proceed on that original $4 million judgment which, with interest by 2015, had grown to $13.5 million. In 2018, Tony Harwood, the gunman in Lita's murder, was released from prison after serving 20 years. Harwood did plead to avoid a possible death sentence. He did plead guilty in 2003 to voluntary manslaughter. That was part of the condition for testifying against James Sullivan. Harwood was given credit for four years in the county jail after his April 1998 arrest. And that, I think, my investigators, is the story and the long, long road it takes to get justice for Lita McClinton Sullivan. Jim Sullivan will be in jail for the rest of his natural life, and I, for one, applaud that fact. The wheels of justice do turn slowly, but sometimes we get there. That is going to wrap this arc up. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending your time with me, telling your friends about Done and Done, for your kind reviews, emails, and ratings for your support on Patreon. Y'all are simply the best. We are going to be back this week on Patreon with a super fun not done yet. We'll catch you back next Monday here for a whole new investigation. Big thanks again to all. Until we meet again, friends, you know that I want you to stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.